Lord God, we so love you. We are here because only of you. And we give you praise and thanks and glory in the heavenlies. Lord, you are um, everything. You are from you and to you and through you are all things, Jesus. And so I want to give you all the glory. I want you to be here uh, as you are, and your presence would be so revealed. Lord, I ask that uh, in this last session together, Jesus, that you would prick our hearts, that you would touch us in areas that we haven't been touched, that you would, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, that you would uh, have us fall in love with you more and more and more. And Lord Jesus, fall in love with each other more and more. Thank you, Lord, that it's first vertically with you, and then it goes out horizontally to each other and throughout the whole world. And so I'm asking from this very room, this very room, Lord, that you have started an incredibly uh, great work, and you will continue it. You promise to continue it, and you promise to complete it individually in our lives and then, and then throughout the world. And so, Lord, we want to be faithful to that. No one, no weapon, no carnal warfare, nothing can detain us and deter us, Lord, because you are in us, and greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so, Jesus, we give you this time. I ask that you would just take my words that they are not mine, but they are totally yours. And, Lord God, that if, if they don't remember anything, they would just remember that they could see Jesus in me because I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. To you be the glory and the honor and the praise forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen? Amen. Well, you know, I thought it was wonderful how Deborah started out in, in Revelation and said, You know what? The war started when what? When, what, when did the war start? When Satan, what? Got booted out, right? Got booted out of heaven. He just got kicked out of heaven, okay? His pride and, and wanting to take over who God is. And guess what? He lost. And Jesus already won the victory, okay? And then where did Deborah get kicked out of, almost? <laughs> a hospital. Children's hospital, okay? All right. All right, I have a little bit of story. Because I wasn't in a hospital getting kicked out, but I was at the zoo, I was at the zoo. Okay, you know what you're not supposed to do at the zoo? <laughs> Feed the animals. All right. Okay, I confess. All right, I've already confessed to the Lord. I'm confessing to you, all right? I, uh, you know, they bring all these little trolleys along or whatever they are, and they're showing, and I am in the midst of having a peanut and going like this to the elephant. Come on, up, 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 up. And the elephant gets up on his ba- you know, back, hat, legs like this, and then up like this, opens up his mouth, this big pink mouth with this big trunk, and I'm like, bing, bing, bing. I'm throwing all of these peanuts in. And as I am doing this, and, you know, all my kids and the kids' kids and all the kids, everybody's around me. All of a sudden, I hear this, or I feel this little tap on the shoulder. Hey, lady, follow me. I'm like, oh, I'm so, it's only a peanut. I'm so sorry. All right, so, Deborah, I got kicked out too, all right? Just, just wanted to go there with you, all right? All right, I'm going to start. I'm going to start with a verse from Psalm 46, verse 1, okay? If you want to look it up, I'm just going to touch on it and then go on. But from Psalm 46, 1, which says, God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob, our fortress. 
46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. In verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I don't know about you, but I love reading stories of Christians who have gone before me, who have stood and, no matter what it was, they stood for Jesus Christ. It used to be called The Voice of the Martyrs, and Toby Mack and Michael Tate uh, took those uh, stories and put it into a Jesus Freaks book and a Jesus Freaks 2 book and a Live Like Jesus Freaks book. And if you don't have them, you should. And to pass them on to your children because it's people who have gone before us who have stood in the gap and have just proclaimed that Jesus Christ is God. Listen to this. It's called In the Dog Pit. 1960s, his name is Trofim Dimitrov out of Bulgaria. Very short little story. Trofim Dimitrov could hear the dogs barking long before he reached the pit. On the way, he prayed fervently for his enemies, the guards, who then threw him down naked to the hungry dogs. Immediately, a great howling was heard. When the officers looked into the pit, they saw Brother Dimitrov kneeling in prayer and the dogs in panic. They saw Brother Dimitrov kneeling in prayer and the dogs in panic. Barking wildly, the dogs were trying to jump the walls in order to save themselves from the strange power emanating from him. Huh? Hallelujah? The strange power emanating from him. Okay? Nothing. Nothing but God's will for his life and his absolutely walking by faith and not by sight and looking at the unseen, not the seen. And so no matter what pit you are in, you are victorious. You are absolutely victorious. You know, there is a waging war at the Fiesler family right now. And it's against some militant squirrels. I am telling you, these squirrels are trying to take over our our yard. They're trying to take over our lives. They're trying to take over our bird feed from the chickadees, from the cardinals, from the cedar wax wings. From uh, you guys have militant squirrels? Okay, they are militant. All right, we have this pole that we even put WD forty on, and they will somehow climb up the pole. They will hang off the tree with their tail. I have a picture to prove it. With their tail and their back paws to absolutely get into that bird feed to eat it. And they will fill their hairy, furry little stomachs full of that bird feed that wasn't meant for them, right? That bird seed. And I am telling you, we are doing everything we can to combat that, okay? But the real war that is raging in the Fiesler household is really more than just an annoyance of those militant squirrels, Okay? The fact is there is a real war going on right now at 5288 Lakeshore Drive in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And that's my home. There is a real war going on. And it's going on in every one of your homes as well. Every single one. It's not just an annoyance. It's you're in a war. I'm talking about the invisible war that we started talking about this morning that is being fought every single day of our lives. Every single day. I'm talking about your life as a believer. Because quite frankly, before you were a believer, you weren't in a war. You were already in his camp. You were already in his camp. You know what? He's, he's got way better things to do to bother you then. But now you're in the war as a believer. And so he's coming after you. And because you're a Christian, you are engaged in a constant war with the invisible enemy like Deborah had up, 1 Peter 5, 8, where it says, be sober, 
be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can destroy. This isn't just a little, you know, cat going around that has a little bit of rabies that wants to bite you and then you get healed. No, it's not that. He's a roaring lion and he wants to take you down. He wants to eat you up and spit you out for supper. That's what he wants to do. And he has absolutely no power unless you give it to him. Unless you give it to him. And so what I am saying, I am saying that spiritual warfare is not an option in the Christian life. It's not an option. It's like, don't sign me up for that, Jesus. Well, guess what? You're in the war already. Because I've already won it, Jesus says. So don't tell him, don't sign me up, because you are already in the war. And if you are trying to grow in Jesus' likeness and mature to him and become conformed to the likeness of his son, I can tell you that the devil has trained his sights on you. He has trained his sights on me because you're dangerous for Jesus Christ. And that's all I want to be is dangerous for his kingdom. Dangerous for his kingdom. So people will come to know him personally and passionately and powerfully and then preeminently over their life that he would rule over them. Coy Wiley writes this, there is a great cosmic invisible struggle between good and evil, light and darkness. The casualties are men, women, boys, girls. In this war, there is no ceasefire, no truce, no timeouts, no prisoners, and no quarter. It just continues on and on. All of us are involved in this great war with the adversary, and all of us will be until Jesus comes back. Anytime, Lord. Anytime. Until Jesus comes back. The sad truth of it is, is many of us lose more than we win when it comes to the personal part of this struggle. But we are here today to proclaim that warring women win. Our enemy only gains ground and wins a battle whenever you fight with your husband and don't ask for forgiveness, or lose your temper with your children, and don't repent of it. That's when he gains ground. He only gains ground when a Christian leader falls into sexual sin and doesn't confess and call it what it is and go before and then repent. He only gains ground when we gossip and fight among ourselves. He only gains ground when we don't have the courage to trust and obey him. Because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. He only gains ground when we as disciples of Jesus lie and cheat. And do not confess it. Confess means to call it what it is. Say the same thing as. That this is what it is. And repent and turn from it. Now don't misunderstand me. Jesus has already won this war I am talking about. He has already won it. He already rose in victory from the grave. Okay? But that doesn't stop Satan from fighting. It doesn't stop him from putting his dukes up. Okay? He cannot make you sin. But he can turn your face askew. So you're just a little off. And then there's a temptation. And then you yield to that temptation. He cannot make you sin. But we will yield to that temptation. Because see, like Deborah said, he knows his time is short. His time is short. He's raging mad. And, and his evil nature is such that, you know what? He wants to do as much damage as physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually possible to us. He wants to be about having, he knows he can't have our souls. 
right? He knows he can't have our souls, but he will stop at nothing to destroy our lives, to destroy our marriages, to destroy our families, and he especially wants to ruin our our Christian witness. He especially wants to ruin our testimony. And he tries, ladies, to divide us. He tries to divide us. He tries to divide us in areas of worship, in areas of culture, in areas of personalities, in areas of heritage. But you know what he forgets? He forgets one thing, that God made us all red, brown, yellow, black, and white. We are all precious in his sight, okay? We are made in God's image. And he fails to remember that. But he keeps going after us and going after us and going after us. And I love that great hymn of the faith that Martin Luther wrote. A mighty fortress is our God. Right? He is a mighty fortress. And, he, and it became extremely aware when Martin Luther wrote this hymn that it was a total spiritual warfare going on. But he has already won the battle. Praise God. Praise God. All right, so let's just review a bit in the Bible what the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? Bible, okay, says about our enemy, just quickly, all right? He says that his name is Satan in Luke ten eighteen. He says in Matthew 4, 1, he's referred to as the devil. In John twelve thirty one, he's, like we learned this morning, called the prince of what? This world, okay? Matthew 4, 3, he's called the tempter. The tempter, okay, as he came to tempt Jesus. Second Corinthians 4, 4, he singled out as small g, God of this world. Okay? According to Job 1, 6, and Colossians 1, 16, Satan is a created spirit. And in Matthew 25, 41, and Revelation 12, 7, refer to him and his minions as angels. Okay? And even in Ezekiel 28, 14, it says that he's not only an angel, but a cherub. Okay, now when you think of a cherub, ladies, you know, it's not those little greeting cards on Valentine's Day with those little, like, flying little fat angels that are up like this. All right, that's not a cherub, okay? Cherubs in Hebrew scripture mean anything but puffy little cupids, okay? They are the highest of the angelic being. And Ezekiel 28 says Satan was the highest of them was the highest of them. So Satan was the highest of the angels, the highest of the class of angels, before he opposed God and fell from heaven. Kicked out. Kicked out. Just like Martin Luther says, on earth he has no equal. In our mighty fortresses are God, and that's very true. On earth he has no equal. But all these descriptive phrases, all these descriptive words, the Bible teaches us to describe our enemy best as he stands in opposition to our Heavenly Father. He stands in opposition to everything that our Father stands for. He is literally the adversary. And his purpose is to destroy the works of God. To absolutely destroy the works of God. To discourage you and I as the people of God. And to discredit the Word of God. How's he doing in your life right now? Are you giving him any sway? In Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 18, and because of time, I'm not going to read the entire one, but you know this is the incredible passage where Paul is talking about to the church of Ephesus. He says, hey guys, you know what? There's, there's warfare. And guess what? You're going to be wearing God's armor. It's not your armor. It's God's armor. You're putting it on because it's his. It's not yours. Yours would do nothing. 
but it's God's armor. And he reminds us in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, that first of all, that Satan is strong. He says he's strong, okay? Even in uh, our uh, mighty fortresses, our God, Luther says, still our ancient foe seeks to work us woe. His craft and power are great. But hear me on this. Satan is strong, but God is infinitely stronger. Okay? Infinitely stronger. He is the one who is in charge. He is the one who is on our side. And he puts limits on what Satan can do. Luther reminds us in verse 2 of the hymn, and he says, Did we in our strength confide, our striving would be losing. But as he puts it, Jesus is on our side. He must win the battle. In your personal struggles with Satan, remember the words of this hymn. Remember Romans 8.31 that says, If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? 1 John 4, 4, he that's in me, the Holy Spirit that is in me, is greater than he that's the prince of this world. He is strong. But God is infinitely stronger, and he absolutely puts limits on him. And then he says in Ephesians 6 that Paul reminds us that Satan is subtle. He's subtle. He's insidious. He's like cancer. You guys, he doesn't come along with great big red coat and great big tail and great big, you know, uh, thorns on his head and, you know, big spear and everything. He doesn't come up and say, hey, I'm Satan. I want to bug you. How about that? You guys, you would flee if he did that. You would flee. You would know. You would turn around and run. He doesn't do that. It's just like when you get water into your basement. It'll find it some way, somehow in there if there's a crack, if there's a leak, isn't there? there's some, it's just the same way. He is subtle. And, and the Greek word for schemes, when it says he has the wiles or the schemes of the devil, is methodius, okay, where we get the word method, okay? So Paul is saying, watch out for those subtle methods of the devil. Be aware. Be aware of them. Because he comes insidiously. And he's also sinister. He is strong, he is subtle, and he is sinister. In Martin Luther's hymn, he said he's armed with cruel hate. He's armed with cruel hate. You know, I am sure that came from verse 16 in in Ephesians 6, where Paul refers to Satan as the evil one. He is evil. His plan is never to do things to help us. He always wants to hurt you. He always wants to call, uh, cause pain and sorrow. He is sinister. As he whispers in your ear, Oh, this one time doesn't make any difference. You'll be able to go back at any time and do the right thing. Just this one time isn't going to make any difference. And then he gets a toe hold. And then he gets a foothold. And then he gets an ankle hold. And then he gets a knee hold. And then pretty soon you're going down. Because he is sinister, and he wants to hurt us. Okay, we know who he is, so what are his limitations? Well, he can, he can tempt us. He can entice us to sin, okay? But he cannot possess us. Because we as believers are already possessed. We are sealed, it says in Ephesians, sealed unto the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit possesses us. He possesses me. He possesses you. 
Satan cannot possess you. He can oppress you. But he cannot possess you. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Satan cannot stand against God. He flees from God like darkness flees from light. He runs. And at this point, I want to remind you a very important fact that spiritual warfare, ladies, is never about us. It's never about us. It's all God. We tend to think we're doing it. We think that we're in this. No, no, no. It's never about us. It's all God. A proper perspective on this invisible warfare that's going on is focused on the power of God rather than on the ploys of Satan. It's focused on who he is, not that Satan's behind every bush. It's focused on what he has already accomplished on the cross for us. That he has forgiven our sins. We have received that gift of salvation. That he is seated right now at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. Going, there they are. There's my ladies. Yep, there they are. Right now. And he is coming back for us someday. Almighty God, the power and the authority to resist our enemy. He's the one who is our power. He doesn't, like Oswald Chambers says, he doesn't give us the power. He is our power. He is our power to resist the evil one. He is our power to resist the enemy. And the closer we draw to God, what does it say in James 4? We draw near to him, and what, what does he do? He draws near to us. Now, ladies, God cannot have any favorites. He can't look down and say, Pastor Melva, you rock, man. I just love you to pieces. You know what? I just think you're the best. You know, better than anybody else. He can't do that because you know why? He's God. He can't have favorites, but he can have intimates. He can have intimates. As you draw near to God, what does he do? He draws near to you, right? He can have intimates. Oh, I want to be as intimate. Oh, I want to be as intimate. Oh, I want to draw near to him. Oh, conform me to the likeness of your son, Lord, and draw near to me. He can't do anything else but, right? We draw near to him, and he draws near to us, and now we are his intimate. Winning this invisible war, ladies, is more about discipleship than it is deliverance. All right? It's more about walking and walking and walking and walking and walking and walking with the Lord, with the Lord, with the Lord, turning, confessing, repenting. Your walk, non-negotiable, face-to-face time with the Savior, absolutely going to him in prayer, knowing that the gifts he's given us of each other, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, his word. The flowers will fade, the grass will wither and fade away, but the word of God will stand forever. We will continue To walk and walk. You guys, winning the war is all about discipleship. Doing the next right thing. Doing the next right thing. Not about deliverance. And the more we mature in Christ-likeness, the more we understand who God is, we are able to exercise the authority that he gives us. That he gives us. We may feel weak, we may feel helpless at times, but this does not diminish the position of authority that we are in Jesus Christ. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling, and we are not to go on feelings like that wonderful dance we just saw. We are in authority of Jesus Christ. 
And we are to walk in that authority because our position of authority are as God, God's forgiven children. No better authority than that. Let me give you an example. My cousin, Carrie, is a captain in the police force in Colorado Springs. And she's a petite little girl. She may not feel strong, okay? Physically, she wouldn't able be, be able to stop like the smallest little compact car, right? Okay? Okay, but when she raises her hand, all traffic stops. All traffic stops. You want to know why? Because the government has given her authority. Authority. We have authority through Jesus Christ. Okay? When we say no, we're not yielding to that temptation. We have that authority in us through the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has given us the authority to resist the devil, to raise our hand and say, no, not go in there. He is a defeated enemy. He is a defeated enemy. We walk with our head high. He's the lifter of our head because he's already defeated and he's just waiting because his time is short and he's madder than a hatter. And we walk victoriously in that. In fact, I love the message that says, John, James 4, 7. It says this, Let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. <laughs> right? That's from the NIV, which says, submit to, the, submit to God, right? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But listen to how it says it again. Let God work his will in you. Let him have all the authority. Yell aloud no to the devil and then watch him scamper. I just love that. I say, Satan likes to make us think, okay, that he can program us, that we're supposed to obey his commands, okay? But Christ's death and ascension has put a death to those lies. Absolutely a death to those lies. And the message of the New Testament is absolutely clear. Christ won a complete victory over Satan. And believers now participate, you and I, participate in that absolute triumph. So how does he attack us? Well, he's the father of all lies, isn't he? Right? Father of all lies. So he loves to deceive us, okay? He comes with the sin of deceit, okay? And, and what we tend to do is we tend to say, oh, this is a lie. This is absolutely a lie. Well, this one, not so much. Well, this one is that white little lie. Well, this is this kind of thing. Okay, there are no degrees of lie. Okay? Lying is lying is lying. Do you guys remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5? Okay, if you want to know about no degrees of lying, check that out. All right? I mean, yes, they did say that, you know, well, they lied about the amount of money, right, that they, that they used, that they received from the sale of their land. I mean, let's say it cost them... You know, let's, let's say they received $1,000, okay? But they received $600, and they said, oh, well, we received $600. Well, that's partially true, because 600 is a part of 1,000, okay? All right, and, but what, what did Peter come along and say? He said, uh, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? The couple never realized that the devil had inserted a lie in their mind, will, and emotions, because that's what your heart is, your mind, will, and emotions, okay? Because you know what? They credited themselves with that idea. He is the father of all lies, father of deceit. How else does he attack us? He attacks us through unfaithfulness that leads to a breakup of a marriage. 
He absolutely attacks us that way. Paul warns us to meet each other's sexual needs, to come alongside each other, so that Satan will not what? Tempt you. So that he will not tempt you because of your lack of control, it says in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 5. So don't get me wrong. The unfaithful spouse cannot obviously blame the devil, okay? He or she made the choice to give in to the temptation, okay? Because so they are absolutely wrong. But the devil played a part in it when he or she yielded to Satan's tempting. To the Satan's tempting where he can, can't make you sin, but he can skew you just off enough. So, oh, this once isn't going to hurt. This once isn't going to hurt. He attacks us when we yield to sin, when we don't speak out for our Lord. When we don't want to please him, and all we want to do is please each other. He attacks us in that way. Those times when we have a God-given, incredible opportunity to share our faith and to come alongside each other, but we give in to fear, and we keep silent. And we keep silent. Do you remember when Peter did that? Big old fisherman. Big old fisherman failed to identify himself with Jesus. And in fact, he proceeded to deny him. And Jesus had warned him what? Satan wants to what? Sift you like wheat, Peter, in Luke 22. But Peter didn't listen. He didn't listen. And a few hours later, he gave in to the fear that Satan had placed in his heart. Where have you given ground to Satan? Where have you given ground to Satan? What sins do you tolerate in your life? What sins do I tolerate in my life? Where do I resist God? What weakness have I let the enemy take advantage of in me? Whatever your weakness is, don't despair because there is hope. There is hope. God is indeed our mighty fortress. And he has given us the tools, the absolute tools to withstand the attacks of the invisible but relentless enemy. He's given us the attitudes. He's given us the actions and truth. And absolute truth that we can protect the weaker areas of our life. You know, the devil can absolutely wrestle against you, but he cannot pin you. He can wrestle against you, but he cannot pin you because he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. Do you remember in Ephesians 6 where he said, Paul was saying, look, you've got God's word. You've got God's armor. You've got God's armor. You've got the belt of truth. You've got it. Wear it. The belt of truth. Do you remember the soldiers, they needed to tuck everything in and and put it in in their belt because they had to gird up their loins so they could move freely. You've got it. It's similar with us. The truth, the belt truth, holds everything together for us as the children of God. See, above all, knowing the truth protects us from Satan's wiles. Knowing the truth. The truth of God's word. Being in his word, that we're able to recognize your adversary's deceit and his lies. And we're able to discern falsehood when it's whispered in our ears. Just this once, just go over here. This means that we have the best tools and weapons at our disposal because it's the word of truth. God spoke it, and it's true. Just like he spoke creation into being, he spoke his word into being for us. 
and it is truth. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to his word. How can a young man keep his way pure? Psalm 119.9. By living according to your word. Let me ask you this. Are you in the word of God? I mean that non-negotiable face-to-face time with the Savior. Not until it is wonderful to be under the word of God like this. It's wonderful. But not until I got in the word for myself. I mean started chewing on his word. That it changed me from the inside out. Do you know his word? Is it a non-negotiable getting up in the morning like Jesus did, being with the Father? When I was on the fish, I'd get up at 3.30 in the morning to be with my Heavenly Father for 30 to 40 minutes before I needed to leave. Now he waits for me until 5 o'clock. There's nothing better. My two daughters are 6th grade uh, and uh, a junior. Uh, They're sleeping still. My husband's snoring away. My collies are sleeping. My horse is in the barn. And I am telling you, there is nothing better than to start your morning non-negotiable face-to-face time with Jesus Christ, the living word. Do you know the Bible? Do you know this word of truth, the belt of truth that keeps everything together? How much of your perceptions of the world's view is based on the word of God? The less you know it, ladies, the more susceptible you will be to the attacks of the deceiver. He has given us this basic instructions before leaving earth. Make sure you put your nose in it before you put your head on the pillow. Because he is our deliverer. He is the one that we are discipled by. William Barclay writes, Others may guess and grope. The Christian moves freely and quickly because in any situation, he knows the truth. Others may grope around, but we know, we absolutely know, in any situation, we know the truth. Because you know why? It's the only book that as you read it, it reads you. As you read it, it reads you. Right? That Holy Spirit illuminates it, brings it to life, changes our lives. I am telling you, at age 31, I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Until then, I'd been married two other times. I'd been abused. I had been, uh, I ran away at at, uh, gunpoint from my ex-husband, and I hid out for a year, I am telling you that I had no idea how much Jesus loved me, but I had a praying mom who stood in the gap for me, who continued to pray, and he brought all those spiritual warfare down because she knew that she knew that the enemy was defeated. And the enemy, even if she didn't see it until she was in heaven, she knew the enemy would be defeated in me. That's how you walk. That's how you talk. That's how you live. That's, you know, a lot of times, ladies, in closing, we have our butts mixed up. Okay? Follow me in this. We have our butts mixed up. We walk around as Christians and go, well, yeah, I love Jesus. And yeah, well, you know, he's, he's the author and finisher of my faith. And he's this and this, this, you know, you know, you know but, you know, yeah, I'm going to live for him and this, this, this. And it's like, what? What? It's, it's wait a minute. Yeah, you know what? I have some problems. Quite frankly, the fallen world is you're either going in a problem, you got a problem, or you're coming out of a problem, right? You're coming in one, you're in one, or you're going out of one. Okay, I've got some. Okay, this, this. 
I got this, I got this, you know, like 101 Dalmatians. My nose is cold. My tail is wet. My paws are cold. You know, continually. And then you say, but Jesus Christ is Lord. He that's in me is greater than he that is in the world. I have everything I need for everything, for life and death, right here, right now. And I'm going to walk in that. Do you see the difference? You might have your butts mixed up here, ladies. And I am telling you, you are here to have them switched around. Because life may be like this in the fallen world, but God, but God, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And that's how we're going to live. That's how we're going to live from now until we see him face to face. Amen, ladies? Amen. Amen.